From the Gettysburgian and 91.1 WCBT Gettysburg, I'm Ben Ponce and this is On Target. And I'm Mary Fraser. This week we'll be talking about the inauguration of President Giuliano, the new magazine for the Gettysburgian, and Salsa on the Square. Then we'll sit down with Dr. Hakeem Williams, Chair of the Africana Studies Department, Associate Professor of Africana Studies, and Director of the Peace and Justice Studies Program at Gettysburg College. Stay with us. All right, uh, let's get into the excitement that was Gettysburg College this weekend. Uh, It was the inauguration, or the installation, as we called it, of President Bob Uliano, uh, the 15th president in Gettysburg College's 187-year history. Uh, There were a good number of people here, although, frankly, I thought the attendance was a little bit lackluster, at least at the afternoon ceremony, a lot of empty chairs. I don't know if that was because of the weather. Uh, or because students were doing other things, there was a conspicuous uh, lack of students in attendance other than those who were carrying banners or involved in the musical presentations by the choir and the wind symphony. Uh, but it was a, it was a nice ceremony. Um, there were a few too many introductions, I thought, uh, of the new president. There were some that were very good, such as uh, Jocelyn Swigger, the chair of faculty council, who who analogized uh, Bob Uliano's ability to listen uh, to the ever-thrilling activity of dictation that occurs in the conservatory. Uh, And then she proclaimed it Bob Day uh, at the end. And, uh, you know, from there, we were off into the races. Uh, Drew Faust, a Civil War historian, former president of Harvard, uh, and one of Bob Uliano's professional mentors, I think, uh, gave a very nice speech um, in which she opened by saying that she would not pull an Edward Everett, who of course was the uh, Harvard president who spoke for more than two hours before Abraham Lincoln gave the Gettysburg Address, uh, said that she would not follow in the footsteps of that Harvard president uh, when she stepped to the lectern. Uh, but she gave a very nice, uh, very nice speech. And then Bob Uliano, of course, gave his opening inaugural address, which focused on um, the college's role as as a civic institution in American society uh, and and what happens and how Gettysburg is a stark reminder of what happens when civil dialogue and the like breaks down. Um, And uh, he quoted Lincoln, Eisenhower, Martin Luther King, you know, all the big guns uh, that we like to like to chat about here at Gettysburg and, and, you know, rightfully so for some reasons. Uh, and so from there he was, he was installed. There was not actually an oath of office. I was kind of hoping for a little bit of pomp there. Uh, David Brennan, the chair of the trustees read from the college charter, a few of the responsibilities of the president and Bob said, I do to them, uh, as in, do you accept these responsibilities? He did. Would have been a real uh, <laughs> turn of events had he said, no, actually, I think I'm good. But in any case, uh, the ceremony ended. People retreated to Stein Lake where they were promised a token of appreciation for coming that turned out to be some chocolate, uh, which I thought was a little underwhelming. And it was also a little hot for that. But anyway, uh, overall, it was a it was a nice, nice ceremony, I suppose. And then in the evening, there were some student performances that I ended up not attending. Um, but 
Yeah. In the morning, uh, I spoke with Charles Glassick, and you met Charles Glassick briefly. I did. I got to take his photo. Um, lovely man. Uh, 88 really... years old. I hope I'm doing stairs like him at 88. Good yeah. grief. Um, definitely um, awesome to meet him. I was a little... Um, I felt a little bad that I kind of scared him with my ghost story of Penn Hall and made him take the stairs. Um, <laughs> that was entirely my fault. Um, but yes, definitely goes downstairs quicker than I do, which is a little sad. Yeah. Um, well, Charles Glassick, the 11th president of Gettysburg College, he uh, succeeded uh, the second president, Hanson, uh, preceded Gordon Holland, who preceded Kate Will, who preceded Janet Morgan Riggs, who preceded, obviously, Bob. He was on campus for the inauguration. We chatted about his presidency. And then, yes, uh, he, he went to hit the elevator in, on the second floor of Penn Hall. Mary started regaling him with the ghost opportunities that he you was about to experience. I did not bring up ghosts. Well, someone brought it up. I didn't just start talking about ghosts. Not It was either you or him. One of you brought it up. I didn't just bring it up. Okay, well, it wasn't me. I don't really buy the whole ghost nonsense. But uh, in any case... I hope they haunt you, Ben. Terrific. Uh, but in any case, uh, he decided from there to take the stairs uh, and proceeded to, uh, you know, be an 88-year-old spry individual who, who uh, you know, was moving. Yeah, no, um, definitely awesome to meet him. I wrote about him a little bit in my paper last year for in historical methods yep for historical methods leading into the holland era so uh yeah it seems that there's some um controversy maybe is a little too strong of a word but uh discussion about the extent to which his presidency is overshadowed by the holland presidency when in fact perhaps the holland presidency simply continued some of the the successes that that Glassic started and and that you know the fruits of which were born after Glassic left office, uh, you know we Glassic uh, crowning achievement perhaps was adding scholarship uh, research uh, and creative activity as a required component of the faculty member's job um, at Gettysburg and you know previously faculty had been evaluated on teaching, on governance and on collegiality. And in the Glassic era, they were evaluated on teaching governance and scholarship. Um, and that, of course, was not exactly a popular change at the time it was implemented. But certainly, I think it has raised the caliber of the faculty, raised the profile of the institution in a way that, um, you know, we all now, I guess, reap the benefits of. Definitely. I agree with that. Um, as for the controversy, I'd say it's about half and half. I definitely think... There's many things that President Holland did that were entirely his own brainchild. Um, but there was definitely a few things that um, President Glassic had in the works um, that were stable enough that when President Holland took over, he could just run with them. Yeah. Glassic, uh, of course, is one of three living former presidents of Gettysburg College. President Holland passed away not this past fall, but the fall before that uh, in 2017. But uh, Glassic still living. Uh, President Riggs, obviously, uh, was was in attendance at the ceremony as well. My woman. And Kate Will, about whose presidency I have never heard anyone say anything positive, which is a little bit sad, Yikes. Uh, was not in attendance. Yikes. Apparently, she is a higher education search consultant these days. Uh, 
but she was not the consultant we hired that brought us Bob Uliano. Okay, uh, so with that, we have a 15th president. He's duly installed. Uh, I do think that it would have been better had we referred to this as an inauguration ceremony than an installation ceremony. Installation sounds a little bit too much like Gettysburg College has got its own new washing machine for me. <laughs> but uh, they didn't exactly ask me. Uh, and uh, they should, because uh, I would have told them that. But alas. Okay, uh, speaking of Bob Uliano, he will be coming on this podcast next week uh, to discuss uh, his vision for Gettysburg College, his inaugural address, his installational address. I don't know what the adjective form of installation is, another reason that we should have called it an inauguration. But in any case, Bob Uliano will be joining us next week uh, to discuss that. Okay, uh, so in other news, Friday was Salsa on the Square. It was, Ben. And I was not there. Oh, boy. Well, you missed a really good time. Uh, so Salsa on the Square is there. Um, I'm not, I always go to the event, but I'm never part of the planning. Um, so I'm not exactly sure um, how the whole thing goes down. It's a I know project uh, that... CPS is very involved yeah. with the sister city in Nicaragua. Nicaragua, yeah. Leon, Yes. Nicaragua. Um, so that was really awesome. Um, we saw some monarch butterfly. Um, I almost want to call them kites, but they weren't on like a string like kites. They were more so on very large poles so they could um, fly above the crowd, which were very beautiful. Um, it reminded me of the butterfly coalition that um, is this um, new, I don't want to call it a club, organization on campus. Um, so that was really awesome. Always great food. Um, it's really nice to support the community, um, and get some authentic food. Um, I got a cheese quesadilla and corn on the cob. I'm not quite sure what was on my corn on the cob. It was, I'm pretty sure covered in mayonnaise and then seasoning. Was it good? Um, it wasn't awful. I ate the whole thing. Um, but I'm definitely more of a like butter and salt girl myself. Um, but it was great to try new foods. I'm really about trying new foods. Um, so that was really fun. They had a great band there. So the music was really fun. People that knew how to salsa were salsing. Unfortunately, in my 14 year dance career, I did not learn how to salsa. So I just kind of stood there and swayed because I didn't know what I was doing. Um, but it was a really fun night. It's always nice when the weather's great though, because you always get to see the beautiful sunset, um, while you're in the street dancing. Um, it was a really happy atmosphere. Everyone was really excited. Kids were running around. So yeah. Definitely a great time. And you can see a photo of one of these butterfly, um, not exactly kites, uh, on the Gettysburgians website. A photo, in fact, taken by Mary. Yes, taken by me, in fact. I guess um, we never really officially introduced that Mary is the Gettysburgians director of photography on this, uh, on this uh, podcast. Yes, that so. is my official position. I guess I'm also the guest star of on target this semester while Gary is abroad. The guest star, indeed. Moving right along, another exciting <laughs> innovation. Uh, an exciting innovation for the Gettysburgian. Uh, last Thursday, ahead of the inauguration, we released the first ever edition of the Gettysburgian's magazine. It looks beautiful, if I do say so myself. Well, and uh, you, of course, were responsible for the photo that is on the front cover of Susan Giuliano, the the first lady of Gettysburg College, I suppose you might say. Uh, there's really no good, you know, I was thinking about this. There's no good way to abbreviate that. 
Mm. I mean that if you don't call her the first lady of Gettysburg College, she would be the flog, which oh. I don't think we like. No, we don't like that. Uh, there could be the, f- you know, if you include the C, it just makes it flog C. Yeah, it's just really bad any way you try it. Uh, unlike, you know, flotus, a nice, you know, nice sounding term that you could use for the first lady of the United States. There is just nothing of the sort. So the first lady of Gettysburg College it is, uh, but Mrs. Giuliano was very kind, granting some time to the Gettysburgian for an interview. Yep. Uh, you can read that as well as most of the rest of the the print content now on the website. I will just say briefly the vision of or the, the concept of the magazine was to uh, provide a venue, I suppose you could say, for uh, feature stories and, and, and deeper investigative reporting that is less time sensitive. What we found with um, a biweekly print newspaper uh, was that by the time it had been published, all of the news content in it uh, had been released online. And so there was just not a whole lot of reason for people to pick it up. Um, and we're hoping that and, – and early – Early reviews would suggest that this has been the case, to some extent at least, that that people will pick it up and and spend a little bit of time with it in a uh, non-time-bound manner. Um, has some shelf life. There's some so some other stories that are in it. There's a there's an assessment and appraisal um, of the student senate committee on Greek life's um, magnum opus, also its only opus, uh, also its final opus. Also, it's sad opus. Okay, in any case, moving right along, uh, there's also um, a a report, an investigation on support staff wages at Gettysburg College that was um, written by Phoebe Dosher, our news editor. Um, And there's an excellent opinion article by our opinions editor, Anna Sincata. Excellent opinion article. It's probably one of my favorite pieces that is in the magazine. Um... It's the, the I, f- correct me if I am getting the title wrong, The Untangling of the Liberal Arts Fly. Indeed. Uh, which I believe is completely true. Um, her piece really spoke to my soul, let me tell you, Ben. Say a little bit more about what your soul told you, Mary. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just think... Um, as someone coming into Gettysburg College, I was planning on being a political science major and nothing more. Um, and then everyone is a double major or is a major with a minor or double minor. God forbid you don't have a double of something while you're at this school um, or a dual. So we're inclusive of inclusive of Ben over here. Um, so and it's. It's true um, when you have a culture where you're supposed to double major or minor. And for those of you who wanted to come come in and double major, please don't feel like I am. um, Kiboshing that opportunity. At all. I I speak as a double major currently um, that choosing to do that, you give up your liberal arts um, option because I would love to take a religion class my senior year. Um, That would be really cool. Um, I'd love to maybe take like a really easy art class um, that I like wouldn't fail at since I have no artistic ability. Um, I'd love to take the creative writing course. I've heard nothing but good things about creative writing, but I genuinely just don't have the room in my schedule to take a creative writing course. And um, liberal arts colleges are all about 
being a well-rounded person. And I think Anna did a really good job about talking about how it's not really possible with the, at least at this college, uh, with the mantra there is around double majors and double minors. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a, it was, is a well, um, articulated and, and fair point to be sure. And, and you're a double major in political science and history and have a minor in women, gender and sexuality studies. That is correct. And I'm planning on declaring a, another minor in peace and justice studies. I just haven't gotten there yet because I have a 12 page paper due tomorrow, but it's fine. Excellent. Uh, and, you know, I have a double major myself in political science and public policy and a minor in music. And so to the point that Anna raised and to the point that you just made, I the spring of my freshman year when I decided that I was going to do this, uh, I tuned into the Internet uh, and and opened up a Google spreadsheet and mapped out every course I was going to take for the rest of college. And I did I that in the spring of my freshman year as yeah, well. Yeah, and I don't think that that's something that's atypical. Uh, but – you know, ultimately, um, when it when it comes down to it, I can count on one hand the number of courses as I'm in my senior year that I have taken for fun or not for some particular requirement of something or another. Uh, and in fact, I can count on one finger that number of courses. I took Alan Gelzo's Civil War course last fall, and that's really the only one that has not counted towards something. Uh, and will be the only one that does not count towards something. I have not taken a single class that didn't count towards something here at Gettysburg College. And when I took it, I was contemplating, uh, I'm only one course away, two courses away from a history minor that I was thinking of doing, but have decided not to. Uh, And instead doing a multi-semester independent study capstone, but that's a neither here nor there. Uh, In any case... (laughs) Uh, I think what Anna rightly gets to is this idea that you're slacking if you're not double majoring, and I think that that's an unhealthy culture that is perpetuated by people who do it, but also I think there's um, a a culture of interdisciplinary programs at Gettysburg that you might reasonably say are um, are set up to be a survey of various topics and, and, you know, public policy, for example, has required courses in philosophy and in, and in economics and in political science and then elective options in history and some other departments. But, you know, there is, I think, something unique and something different about just taking a course for the sake of taking a course that is not um, something that tends to happen here. The number, the percentage of students double majoring is rapidly approaching 20 percent. Um, and, and uh, you know, I think that's a, a conversation ought to be had about that. And it was had a little bit in the faculty last spring when the business major proposal at the time came forth as a required double major, as a required second major, like public policy, like international affairs, like I believe globalization studies is that way as well. Um don't quote me on the last one there, but you know it's it's a it's a subject that I think some members of the faculty are rather attuned to. I know that Suzanne Flynn in the English department last spring was among those who had concerns. Scott Bottery, our advisor at the Gettysburgian, and uh, was quoted in Anna's piece. She's he is Anna's academic advisor, uh, has some concerns about this issue, and so. We'll see where it goes from here. 
That's going to wrap up our news segment. We'll be right back with the bullet report, followed by our interview with Dr. Hakeem Williams. Stay with us. It's time for the bullet report. It has been two weeks since we last did a bullet report, so here goes nothing. On September the 16th, the men's golf team finished second at nine at the Moravian Way Hill Class. The women's tennis team defeated St. Mary's 6-3. The men's tennis team lost 9-0 the same day. The York College soccer team lost to Gettysburg 4-1. The men's, uh, excuse me, the women's field hockey team defeated Lebanon Valley 2-1. The men's soccer team defeated Lebanon Valley 2-0. The men's cross-country team finished 10th of 32 at the Lock Haven Invitational. On September the 21st, the women's golf team finished 3rd of 7 at the Gettysburg Invitational the same day. The women finished 27th of 37 at the Lock Haven Invitational themselves. On the 21st, also, the women's tennis team lost 5-4, and the men's tennis team lost 7-2 to Catholic. The women's volleyball team defeated Washington College of Maryland 3-1. The football team lost to Dickinson 56-20. The field hockey team defeated Washington 2-1. The volleyball team defeated Wesley 3-0. The women's soccer team defeated Washington 1-0. And the men's soccer team defeated Washington 3-0. On to November 23rd, the men's golf team finished 3-7 at the Dickinson Fall Invitational. The women's soccer team defeated McDaniel 1-0. And the field hockey team defeated McDaniel 7-0. The volleyball team, however, lost to McDaniel 3-1 the same day. On to November 27th, the volleyball team defeated Hood 3-0. The football team lost to McDaniel 22-32. The men's golf team finished 7th of 18th at Mason Dixon Collegiate Invitational. The field hockey team lost 3 nothing to Ursinus. The women's tennis team lost 5-4 to York. The men lost 8-1 to York on the 28th. On the 28th, also the volleyball team defeated Ursinus 3-1. The women's soccer team defeated Ursinus 3-0. The men's soccer team lost to Johns Hopkins 2-1. Thus endeth the bullet report. That's absurd. Indeed. We'll be right back with Hakeem Williams. thrilled to be joined today by Dr. Hakeem Williams, Associate Professor and Interim Chair of Africana Studies and Director of the Peace and Justice Studies Program at Gettysburg. Dr. Williams, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Good morning. (laughs) So we're here kind of on a a couple of related notes. Um, There's a Peace and Justice Conference coming up in the spring, but before we get to that, why don't you just talk a little bit about kind of what the study of peace and justice in an academic environment looks like at Gettysburg? Sure. So um, this is my second year directing the program. I took it over from the incomparable Professor Lisa Portmess, um, who is in philosophy. And if you haven't taken a class with her, your undergraduate career is entirely incomplete. <laughs> um, and... Um, so I took the program over from her, and the program hasn't changed that much, that much philosophically. Um, so the program is really housed under interdisciplinary studies, which is where it really should be. Folks often think it's housed under philosophy, um, but our core classes are largely in the philosophy department. But the study of peace and justice necessarily belongs in an interdisciplinary space. Um, because when you're looking at issues of conflict resolution, mediation, causes of war, Um, peace education, Um, those things don't really lie within any particular disciplinary silo. Um, And I I do think um, 
The subfield of peace and justice studies would be hobbled if it were to be housed within a particular discipline, because then students would only be getting, I would dare say, a malnourished understanding of the causes of war and the ways in which we can prevent it and the ways in which we can envision radical alternative futures. Um, and so that's a little bit about um, the philosophy behind it in terms of structure. The structure has changed a little bit. Um, so now there's a, an application that students have to, students have to fill out. Um, and that's really meant to not create a hurdle to applying to the minor, but to push students to conceptualize intellectual coherence around the classes that they're choosing. Um, and students also have to create and, and implement a peace and or justice related project before they graduate, um, which I think is also unique to the program. I, I don't think there are many other minors on campus that require such a project. Um, and that project brings the outcomes, the academic outcomes of the minor full circle. So students are not just in the classes, which are actually scattered across campus, and then they bring a kind of coherence to it through their particular array of classes, but then in the end, they get to put that knowledge to practice, um, which is at the core of what I teach in my classes called Frarian Praxis. And I can go more into that if you're interested, because that is actually the impetus for the conference next year. Why don't you talk a little bit about kind of how your own um, interest in peace and justice studies in particular has emerged. Right. Oh, my goodness. Long story. <laughs> so back in 1848. No, no. Um, <laughs> so I grew up in Trinidad um, in a poor community called Laventil. And I left Trinidad when I was 18 years old. And I went to Morehouse College in Atlanta for one semester studying psychology. And I transferred to St. Francis College in Brooklyn, a small liberal arts. And, and of course, that's why I fell in love with the liberal arts model and decided if ever I'm a teacher, I need to be at a liberal arts. And so ergo being here at Gettysburg and staying now in, into my eighth year. Um, I continued studying psychology in my undergrad. And near the end, I recognized that um, if I were to stay in that field and pursue clinical psychology, I would have to like train my emotions. You know, you couldn't be on the couch crying with your client. And that's what I had envisioned for myself, foolishly enough. Um, and um, I, I think um, part of what students appreciate about me in the classroom is that um, I, I don't hide my emotions. I'm very passionate in the classroom, very energetic. Um, and so I didn't want to turn that off to be a psychologist. But then I was, it was at a crisis point. I'm like, well, if I'm not going to be a psychologist, what am I going to do with my life? <laughs> um, and at that moment, I was reading lots about Nelson Mandela and his struggle in, in apartheid South Africa and um, reading about Gandhi and, and his decolonization movement in India. And I was so inspired by that in conjunction with working in after school programs in New York City. And one day I sort of searched online, I put in the words education and peace and found a peace education program at Columbia University Teachers College. And that light bulb went off and I was like, this is it. It's the only program I applied to. Although I tell my students here, do not put all your eggs in one basket <laughs> when you're applying for grad school. Being the hypocrite that I am, I did that. I applied to only one program because it really called out to me. Peace Education was founded at Columbia and I wanted to go to the source, so to speak, um, to study from the great minds who had created this subfield. Um, and so I would say it is my upbringing, um, in a context of intense poverty um, and then going to Colombia that gave me the vocabulary to understand the structural violence in which um, I grew up. And so um, 
I looked at school violence in Trinidad for my doctoral dissertation. Um, and that has been the beginning of my academic journey in, in, in the field of peace and justice studies. You know, so folks often think that, you know, my main field of study is Caribbean studies or it's education, but it's, it's peace and justice studies is what drives me. And, and all the other disciplines, Africana studies, education, they are the conduits for that main interest of mine. Um, so how did you come to Gettysburg College itself? How did you find us? Right. <laughs> so again, being the hypocrite that I am, I applied to only one job, and that was a tenure track job at Gettysburg College in Caribbean Studies. Um, I was finishing my dissertation at Columbia in 2012, um, and I, I, I lived in New York 14 years. I am such a city person. I wanted to stay in New York. Mm -hmm. But my mentor, who is now Monisha Bajaj, who is now at the University of San Francisco. She left Columbia. And um, she sent me the job ad, which she doesn't remember. Um, and I opened it and I was like, wait, what? You never see the words tenure track and Caribbean studies like lined up in the same sentence. <laughs> I was like, okay, so I, I must apply to this job. So is it only teaching job I applied to? Um, and then I got the call. I was on the short list and I was like, what is really <laughs> happening? Because, you know, I, I knew about the Gettysburg battle I um, mean, sort of like part of the historical psyche of the United States. I'd never been here. I wasn't interested in living in a place like Gettysburg, being the, the city dweller and city lover that I am. Um, but I came with an open mind. I said, you know what? I, I don't plan to live in Gettysburg, so I'm going to show them all who I am, you know? And so I came to the interview. The, it was in February. The weather was fantastic that day. And uh, I believe <laughs> the universe was sort of like trying to lure me here um, by lying to me. Because the day before and the day after, the weather was, was sucky. Um, <laughs> And I really enjoyed the interview and I was just myself and they were themselves in Africana studies. They were so open, um, obviously fluent in, in the field and fluent in the social ways of being on campus and in this town. And they were very honest and open with me. And I left campus feeling like, wow, that went really well. So whichever way it goes, I'm fine with it. Um, and then I was in Trinidad um, on business. Um, and some pleasure, and I got an email from the provost saying I'd like to speak with you. And I was like, oh, my God, I think I'm getting the job. <laughs> um, and I did. Um, and when I got the job, I felt torn. Um, it was bittersweet. I understood that that was the end of my New York City life because I would be taking I'd be foolish out of, out of graduate school with, with tons of loans to not take a tenure track position um, and in a field of studies that I love. And... And yet I was leaving New York City behind. So there was some loss there, but there was also gain. So I came sort of like reluctantly to Gettysburg, but I'm so glad that the ancestors opened this portal for me because I have been having the time of my life here at the college. Oh, that's so good to hear. <laughs> um, and so, you know, you, you teach, obviously, some Caribbean studies courses, and you also teach a pretty popular education for social change class. How have your teaching interests kind of evolved since you since you came to Gettysburg seven years ago mm -hmm. now? Yeah, came in 2012. Um, so this is now my eighth academic year. Wow, approaching a decade. <laughs> um, how have they evolved? You know, um, they have more so deepened as opposed to evolved because I, I came in with a canon around Caribbean studies and, you know, I will change the fringes here and there. But at, at the core, as I mentioned before, my interests are animated by peace and justice. Um, and so when I teach in the class, um, I teach from 
the standpoint of Paolo Freire, who wrote my favorite book in the world, and I recommend it to everyone, Pedagogy of the Oppressed. And that book changed my life and my trajectory in graduate school. Um, in that book, he is essentially critiquing um, the colonial models of education and the ways in which that really puts blinders on us for envisioning a different kind of world. And so whether it's Caribbean studies, whether it's education for social change, whether it's human rights in the Caribbean, I, I the content is quite varied, but at the core of it, my energy, my passion, the ways in which I'm interacting with the students in the classroom, those are all very much the same. And when I say interacting with the students in all of my classes, students in groups have to present every class each class is discussion-based. There is no such thing as a student sitting in the back and being able to be on their phone or to sort of like nod off or miss too many classes. If you're showing up, you have to be engaged. You have to bring your A-game because I'm bringing my A-game. And I believe that knowledge construction in the classroom, to use a Paulo Freire phrase, is co-constructed. So if the students are being mere recipients of knowledge, that is not a place of co-constructed emergent knowledge. And so I treat every classroom like that. And so that's why I said it hasn't really evolved, but more so deepened as I have set um, for the roots here at the college um, and um, yeah, just continue to enjoy what I'm doing here alongside the students. Yeah, I think that's the way I'd like to, to phrase it. Mm -hmm. um, and so you obviously bring energy to the classroom, but this energy that you've brought to the Peace and Justice program has seems to have in, uh, you know, contributed some, to some growth in, the, in, in recent years. I know that you have a student council um, that's heavily involved. Talk a little bit about that student council and also some of the projects that, that students have done over the past couple of years. Sure. So, you know, I, um, I'm not a religionist. I don't follow any particular religion, but I am quite spiritual. And I, I believe that the ancestors send us what we need just when we need it. So with that as a preface, when I took over the Peace and Justice Studies program, we had about 12 to 15 minors, which which happens after graduation, you know, you have a fall off of, of minors because a, a whole batch graduates. And I was like, okay, so how can I get these numbers up first and foremost? Because many folks on campus, when I tell them that you can be a peace and justice minor, they're like, no, I don't have the space for it because they're thinking that you have to take like a host of specific peace and justice classes because that's, that's most minors. Like poli-sci minors, you have to take mostly poli-sci classes. That makes sense. But PNJ is interdisciplinary and you have over a hundred classes that you can choose from and students don't know that. In fact, most students on campus actually have probably on average two to four classes by the time they get to their junior year without even knowing it. So my task, I just sat down for hours and then sometimes going to bed at 4 a.m. just like looking up students' classes and I'm, I'd write them and say, hey, you actually have the minor already. Um, and so then they would say, that's exciting. Um, and then they would obviously say, yes, I want to do it. And then they would fill out the application and they would they would um, do a project on campus. And I'll talk about some of the projects that students have done because they're quite varied and very exciting. Um, so at the end of this May, we ended with 106 minors from two years ago, starting with 12 to 15, which is truly remarkable and truly wonderful. And I don't want to take um, sole credit for that. I've worked hard, yes, but there have been a host of students who have been sending me students' names and encouraging their friends to look into the minor. Um, and so about 48 minors graduated, which I think probably was the second or third largest 
um, host of, of miners graduating uh, this year. Um, we have started the year with about 53 miners, so we're about the third largest miner on campus behind health sciences, way behind health sciences and way behind um, the business. Um, but that's really exciting that out of 40-something miners that Peace and Justice at a place called Gettysburg um, is, is, a, is a preeminent miner. And I actually want to uh, talk uh, later on about my visions to create an institute for peace and justice here at Gettysburg College. Um, so remind me to talk about that. <laughs> um, and so some of the projects that students have been doing um, they're far away. So a student came in, came, um, came in yesterday. Um, she's a music education major, um, Bridget Haynes. Hey, if you're listening. Um, and she does wonderful work here on campus. Um, and she works um, around women's rights. And she wanted to know what kind of project that she could do. And she said, what are the parameters? And I said, there are no parameters. You could dream big as long as it falls under the, the broad rubric of peace and or justice. Um, and so with that said, her eyes lit up and you know, she went off to sort of work on a project with the, the library um, from a sort of uh, popular education standpoint. So she's still sketching that out. So I don't want to talk about that too much. But some of the projects that students did last year, we had about 38 projects that students because it's, it's, it's a new requirement, so it's not mandatory for those who graduated this year. But out of like 48 seniors, 38 did projects and submitted um, a write-up. And so it ranges from students who want to see an Office of Disability Services created here at the college. That some students in one of my classes, Ed for Social Change, that was one of their projects. And when the class ended, they continued with that advocacy work. Um, so that's one project. Um, some students work around preventing sexual assault on campus and educating on the campus and the wider community more about that. Um, students working on intersectionality. And so it's, it's, it's wide ranging, which is really exciting. And it shows students that there are many entry points into peace and justice, which is which really heartens me because I want students to understand that no matter what discipline you're in, whether it's biology, chemistry, mathematics, especially those subjects where students think that there is no connection between peace and justice, in fact, there are, and there are many connections. Like you could take bio and chem and look at environmental impacts, right? Looking at environmental racism in communities, let's say in Harlem, right? So in New York City. So there are many entry points, and so students do um, a wide assortment of projects, which is really exciting to me. Um, so one of the major projects is the conference coming up. Um, could you talk more about that? Yes. So um, as, I, I, as I've said um, in several other spaces and, you know, and I, I said on the, the conference website, which, by the way, is CONAP, C-O-N-A-P-P-G-V-E-R-G.com. That's the website. Um, as I've traveled the world, I have become increasingly frustrated from hearing professionals and so-called adults tell undergraduate students, get your degree, get some more experience, and then you can have a say, you know, you can have a seat at the table. You can have a say on matters of peace and justice. And I think that is so foolish and so narrow-minded. I mean, look at Greta, right, and other um, students around the world who are leading this movement, um, around climate change and the climate crisis. I truly believe that the youth and undergrad, they are the ones who are going to lead us because the adults have, have really failed the world in major ways. But because of that frustration of hearing people tell undergraduates to kind of shut up and sit down and get your degree. And I'm like, I work with undergrads who have, not all of them, but many of them have amazing ideas and so much energy. I'm like, this is, we are wasting time and we're wasting their energies by ignoring them. And so 
um, I said, let's have a Peace and Justice North American Conference. So we invite students from Mexico, from Canada, from the Caribbean, from, from the United States. I'm assuming in this first iteration, most of these students from Canada United States will come because it's probably easier in these political times. It might be difficult, not might be, it will be difficult for many students from Mexico and, and the Caribbean to get visas because I have family members in the Caribbean um, who have been having problems getting visas to come to the United States. And so I predict that will be, that will be an issue, but I digress. Um, and I want to create a space here in Gettysburg, in this place where we memorialize, and rightly so, um, the United States Civil War. Um, I want students to come to this sacred place and to talk about peace and justice and also envision different ways in which this country can be and the world can be. Um, so that was sort of the impetus for the conference. Um, the model for the conference is that if you've been to conferences, and I've been to way too many, mm -hmm. um, people talk at the audience, and then in the end, you have like two minutes for, like, for critical questions. So this conference, students will have to send in their extended abstracts in advance, and so that people will walk into the room with what we're calling critical questions, generative questions. So there'll be a panel of students who submitted their work, and then people will walk into the room, and they'll start um, the session with a critical dialogue will be in conversation. That'll be half the time. And the other half of the session, people will be trying to envision together, the panelists and the audience, what are the ways in which we can take some of these ideas and make them actionable? And then we are going to save these actionable ideas and then try to give some seed money to the best of these ideas so students can try to implement them. So that is really the model of Freire and Praxis that he writes about in his book, Pedagogy of the Oppressed. And so it's the way I teach my classes and it's the way this conference is being structured. And so, you know, this conference has been put on by you and some others on campus. It sounds like something that might be in the future put on through an institute for peace and justice that you might like to create. Yes. How's, there, there, how's that for a segue? Yes, that's a wonderful segue. You're so good at this. Um, when I took over um, the peace and justice program, I wasn't just interested in tinkering with it or just building numbers. Um, I, I believe that tomorrow is not guaranteed to anyone and we must have um, a reflexive and critical urgency in the now. And, and I pair those words together because many folks work with an urgency but they're not reflexive about the harm that they're perpetuating in the world or um, or putting onto others, imposing onto others. And so it has to be a critically minded, self-aware, metacognitive sense of, of urgency. And so I'm like, I want to see an Institute for Peace and Justice. We have the Civil War Institute um, and they have partnered with us with us on this conference and they've also partnered with us on the Gettysburg Redress Contest where you can win $500 if you rewrite the Gettysburg Address but from modern times. That's due February 15th, I believe. So plug for the Gettysburg Redress Contest that we're doing in conjunction with the Civil War Institute. Um, so we have the Civil War Institute, we have the Civil War Era Studies um, and all of those are wonderful programs and I'm glad that they're here. Um, but I have envisioned an Institute for Peace and Justice Studies where people from around this country and around the world can come to this blood-soaked land called Gettysburg and get actual skills 
on conflict resolution, mediation, which I, you know, I have, that's the practice side of me. I actually do trainings around, um, around those things. I teach a class at Columbia University um, once a year. I co-teach a class around conflict resolution mediation. So I have that skill today. I want to train others so that we could have a full staff training people um, in conflict res, restorative circles, mediation, how to have difficult conversations around race. Um, because I think many folks need, I think everyone actually should get a, take a class in that and need training in it. But I want people from Wall Street to come here. I want um, people who run not-for-profits to come here. I want activists to come here, to come to a place called Gettysburg and learn those skills. I want to have an, a scholar activist in residence here so that our students can learn from this person. I want to raise funds so that students can do research and go abroad and network with other students doing um, work around peace and justice around the world. All of those things I want to do under this Institute for Peace and Justice. So it's going to be a sprawling entity. Of course, this, this is my vision. We need money to do it. We need to fundraise. Um, and in this age of, of fiscal austerity, I, I don't know if there's an appetite to fund such a thing. But hey, I'm going to dream big and let the ancestors do their magic. Um, you know, I we heard last spring at a, at a campus-wide event, I think it was I think it was the campus-wide event after the the situation involving a former trustee uh, from Professor Hancock. That one thing the college could do, uh, if it was um, you know, serious about um, thinking about these issues of peace and justice, is fully funding a peace and justice studies institute. Do you have you found institutional support for this idea, or is this something that is going to have to rely predominantly on external funding? Um. So. Colleges across the United States, um, higher education writ large, is at a crisis point um, for varied, varied reasons. Um, you know that here the college is almost $70,000 a year. That's not unique to here. I don't think that is sustainable. I have tons of school loans. Students are leaving with lots of loans, and they're not coming out um, of college making money that's commensurate with those loans. And so people are rethinking higher ed as they should, um, though I hardly believe in, in higher education and the liberal arts model, but I do think a reckoning is at hand, a necessary reckoning. Um, all that um, to say that I think the college, the Provost Zappi, ardently supports what I'm doing, but the college really doesn't have money to support this institute, and so it will have to come from outside, but obviously the college and the development apparatus um, has varied priorities um, that they would like to pursue. OK, and we don't have like an infinite supply of alumni, you know, to go knocking on their doors. Um, but Provost Zappi is is interested in in fundraising and supporting the Institute. Um, I don't know where along the developmental pipeline in terms of priorities that such an institute would fall. I'm not privy to that kind of information, um, but. All I want is the permission to go out on the road and speak to alumni and speak to other foundations about potentially investing in this institute. Um, because this, this country, one born out of such violence, I think there is so much generational unprocessed trauma that plays out in varied ways. And we perpetuate many levels of violences, whether they be interpersonal, intrapersonal, and communal um, in this country and as, as well onto the world um, with the sort of hegemonic uh, flexing power that we have. I think this country needs um, healing and needs um, the tools to heal. And I believe that our institute, we don't have all the answers, but the institute can be um, a major place that people could come and get those skills. 
And perhaps as a final question, um, you know, pivoting back to the conference that I, I is obviously directed towards some of those same goals. I know you're in the midst of a fundraising campaign for that. You want to just mention a little bit about how folks might be able to participate? Yes. Uh, so by the way, this conference is student-centered, student-run. Um, yes, it was my idea, but my plan is to create a framework, get the funding, and then step back and let the students come and, and take over this space and share their ideas and organize. Um, and so December 15th of this semester is when submissions are due. It's a 300-word, which is very short, abstract. If you want to present at the conference, I re I'm really encouraging Gettysburg College students and whoever else is listening to come. So adults, uh, welcome to come to the conference, but we will be sitting and learning and listening from undergraduate students. I want to reiterate that point. We have a fundraiser right now. It is in its first week. Um, the website is gettysburg.edu backslash CONAP, C-O-N-A-P-P. -P. Um, I think in about four days, we have raised about $1,800, um, which may not sound a lot, but, you know, people are giving small donations. And if you're, if you're following political campaigns, you know that Bernie Sanders and Warren, it, people chipping in three, five dollars, that's allow them to be the financial juggernauts that they are. And so we're encouraging anybody, if you're, you have a dollar, five dollars, a million dollars, as I like to joke. Um, <laughs> but if you have a million dollars and you want to support peace and justice, please give it to us <laughs> so we can create this institute. Um, but yeah, we do have a fundraiser right now. And the main aim of the fundraiser is that we want to make this conference as inclusive as possible. The costs are very low. It's about three hundred dollars for a student to attend the conference and that will cover their meals and accommodations and registration fees but i know in my undergrad i couldn't have afforded that and so we're trying to raise money so that we can offset some of the costs for students coming um and also to um create the grant fund so that we could give money seed monies to some of the best project ideas at the end of the conference so that's at the heart of the fundraising apparatus we have in place right now all right dr hakeem williams thanks so much for joining us thank you thank you for having me That's on target for this week. We'd like to thank Dr. Hakeem Williams for being our featured guest today. We'd also like to thank the staff of the Gettysburgian and the executive board of WZBT for their ongoing support of this project. Be sure to subscribe to On Target on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever else you get your podcasts. On Target is a joint production of Gettysburgian and WZBT. Our theme music was composed by Diego Rocha, a music graduate from 2019 in the Sutnerman Conservatory of Music, who's currently pursuing a master's degree in composition. Join us next week. We'll be interviewing the new president, the 15th president of Gettysburg College, Bob Uliano. Until then, have a great week. <laughs>